if the impulsivity stops, then you have to deal with your feelings. And with her, without movement, without talking, without doing, she could just be and feel sadness. Yeah. And she had a lot to be sad about. Welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Each month, we feature a patient interview, case presentation, or interviewer discussion with one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at ergonomy.org. The best way to help the American College of Ergonomy spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. If you're interested in training with the ACO, you can learn more about the medical ergonomy therapy or social ergonomy training programs. You can connect with us and learn more at ergonomy.org. This episode features a discussion with Dr. Susan Marcel about ADHD. We both discuss patient vignettes to give two medical ergonomists perspective on the treatment of patients with ADHD symptoms. So Dr. Marcel, thank you very much for sitting down with me today and talking about a timely topic, ADHD. Good to be here. So I just want to just read some titles of articles I saw, and this is just the last six months, and this is just the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Opinion, the military needs recruits with ADHD. The condition can be a disability in some roles, but it can be a super ability in others. Opinion, the meaning and overdiagnosis of ADHD. More scrutiny is needed. Opinion, ADHD is real, and we know how to treat it. Properly prescribed, Ritalin can be a life-changing medication. Learning to focus without medication. People with ADHD often rely on stimulants like Adderall, but behavioral techniques can be just as effective in dealing with distraction. Students struggle academically, fight amid Adderall shortage. Children who haven't had access to the medications are experiencing problems ranging from getting suspended from school to having trouble sleeping. Opinion. Have mental health prescriptions gone too far? Students discuss the various forms of medication used to treat anxiety, depression, and ADHD. What's behind the Adderall shortage? And then there's another article from Barry Weiss's uh, The Free Press, America's Love Affair with Adderall. So those are just a handful of titles of articles in the news in the last six months, and there's many, 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 many more. It's everywhere. And just before we, we get into the conversation, I'd just like to let the audience know here, this is from the American Psychiatric Association, what is ADHD? Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is one of the most common mental disorders affecting children. Symptoms of ADHD include inattention, not being able to focus, hyperactivity, excessive movement that is not fit to the setting, and impulsivity, hasty acts that occur in the movement without thought. ADHD is considered a chronic and debilitating disorder and is known to impact the individual in many aspects of their life, including academic and professional achievements, interpersonal relationships, and daily functioning. An estimated 8.4% of children and 2.5% of adults have ADHD. It's primarily broken up into 
inattentive type, hyperactive type, and then there's a combined type. So Dr. Marcel, I have more patients than ever calling up saying, I need an evaluation. I think I have ADHD or I just moved in the area and I need to make sure I get my medication for my ADHD. I'm curious, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What's your perspective? Yeah, having the same uh, experience um, the during the pandemic and now post-pandemic, lots of phone calls for people specifically asking for ADHD evaluations. This Friday, uh, a couple days ago, I received a phone call from a young man who was calling to say, I'm calling because I need Adderall. <laughs> it was very direct uh, and I can't get it and uh, I'm moving to the city and I'm so I'm seeing a lot of requests for it. And, and it's also, as you, as you point out, it's in the news, it's in the headlines. Um, our school systems, some of our local school systems, I mean, the kids line up for their medication midday. Um, you know, they're on Ritalin, they're on Adderall. You know, and, and I think because it's seen as a wonder drug or, a, you know, that, and it does, the med- these medicines do help people focus. Um, and my wonder is, what about what's going on underneath? You know, um, you know, aspirin works, Tylenol works, but what's going on underneath to cause the pain? I guess is one of the metaphors that I use with some of my patients. So, so I've gotten a lot of calls, and um, and my current patients that are seeing me say for depression or anxiety, they read one of these headlines and then they say, "I think I have ADHD. Can you medicate that?" And so, you know, it's it's definitely in our culture and. Um, one of the things I, I I read, you know, as we were getting ready to do this discussion, was three quarters of the people who have a diagnosis of ADHD have another psychiatric diagnosis that often goes missed. So that's concerning to me. Three quarters—that's that, a lot of people who may not need stimulants and and may be able to get off those meds and and you know treat the underlying uh, problem. Yeah. Yeah. I want to read. So, in, in thinking about this talk, uh, I reread uh, an article from the Journal of Ergonomy by Dr. Peter Christ. Not sure. Sure. This article is from 1995. It's called Impulsivity and the Bioenergetic Relationship to ADHD. It's from the journal, volume 29, number two. I just want to read part of the introduction, just a quote for one, well, just one paragraph. ADHD is currently receiving widespread attention from psychiatrists, neurologists, psychologists, and educators, parents, and the general public. Millions of dollars have been spent on research. The popular press has seen numerous books and articles, including several magazine stories in recent years. Yet with all that has been written and scientifically presented, the debate continues as to the cause and most effective treatment of ADHD. Is ADHD a psychological or physical disorder? Are these children sick or just especially lively, normal youngsters? Is the problem inherent in the children or is it the result of a faulty upbringing, and particularly the parents' failure to discipline them? Does the diagnosis of ADHD even represent a true disease entity? Among the numerous observations and opinions, however, it is generally accepted that impulsivity is one of the key problems in those given the label ADHD. And so what stands out so much about this particular paragraph from Dr. Christ's introduction is two things. First, it's like we've gone almost 30 years and we still have the same questions. There's still so much confusion about what we call ADHD. And the other thing is, 
he's highlighting impulsivity and he gives this wonderful um, discussion about a treatment of a young boy that he calls Jay. And it's a wonderful article I, I think listeners should read. It's available on our website. But he says it's generally accepted that impulsivity is one of the key problems. One thing that I've noticed, and I trained in, in child psychiatry at a fellowship after general psychiatry, that was the classic I'll put in quotes, a classic ADHD patient was a young boy in grade school who was very hyperactive, couldn't stay in his seat, was blurting out answers, and was just, you know, they, that quote of, of driven, as if driven by a motor, just on the go. These days, and especially right now, especially post-pandemic, it seems like a lot of the focus is on the young adult, the adolescent who's distracted, who's out of it, who can't focus much more than the hyperactive. And not, not that, that, that the young kids who are hyperactive don't exist or that's still not something that, that we're dealing with as mental health professionals. But in, in my mind, that's where there's this huge surge of new patients who are asking about ADHD, unfocused adolescents and young adults. And, and that really stands out to me. I mean, most of these articles I read are talking about young adults. They're not talking about young grade school children. And I see that. I, I see that the, the college, high school and college age students uh, who call or who are currently practicing and treating, um, that they they really are struggling with paying attention, doing well in school, getting the grades, the competition, being able to not be so impulsive and um the medicines do help them. They get these medicines. They share them with their friends, <laughs> you know. Um, and and yet, you know, I think Dr. Chris's point, uh, you know, what is this? What what are what do we know? What don't we know about this underlying illness? And it, it's there's something energetically going on within that little boy or that teenager or that college student that you know the medicine changes something. But what about what's going on underneath? Again, to to my point earlier, um, you know, they they have something else usually going on with them. And my experience has been nobody's really asking that question or, or looking at that. Um, and that you know, children and teenagers, college students, they get fifteen minute med checks, and then they're given a prescription or they answer a questionnaire, and you could get it online actually. Telemedicine. Yeah, I actually had patients through, you know, on social media, there, there's people share little quizzes, you know, these little quizzes that you wonder where they come from. But it's like, do you have this? Do you have this? You should, right. you know, consider that. Right. You know, right. yeah, it's cookbook medicine, which, you know, I have a problem with that. And, you know, both of us are osteopathic physicians. We're both trained in medical organ therapy. I think you and I share that idea of we both look at a patient much more three-dimensionally, holistically, energetically, like get at the root cause, not just that they're not, it's not mechanical. Yes, there are brain receptors that are, but it's not just about dopamine, you know, in the prefrontal cortex or something. And there really is something deeper down going on that they deserves our curiosity. And you know, to Marcel, what are you seeing with your patients? I'm curious. Oh, well, I have, I have a couple of patients. One very dramatic is a young college student who I treated a couple of years ago. This is before the pandemic. And she came to me on um, a stimulant and it worked, but 
when it wore off, she felt like she was fall she fell off a cliff mm -hmm. and um she was almost incapacitated. And you know, I try to address sleep and diet and exercise, nutrition, supplements, and emotions, like what's going on underneath. She was having a lot of trouble with her boyfriend at the time. But one time she got up early and she exercised very vigorously for an hour, literally running on a treadmill at full speed for one hour. Wow. And then she didn't take, she forgot to take her medicine that day. She went to work and she realized that she was on all day. She was focused. And and she came in like a week or two later and said, I just, I'm running, I'm running. And, you know, and she would try an experiment, you know, days that she maybe didn't run. She'd take the medicine or not take the medicine. And she saw this pattern that being able to get out whatever she was experiencing through the frustration of her day by literally pounding and running on a treadmill at 6 a.m. She would run from 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock every morning. Um, and she felt wonderful. Like she had discovered it and all by herself and she didn't want to be on medicine. Like that was distasteful to her. She didn't want to, she, you know, if she got married and had kids and would, would the medicine have an effect on her, her child and, um, you know, is it genetic and is there something wrong with me? It just stirred up so much, but her feeling like she could do something that changed her functioning really lifted her mood. And I suspect she had a mild depressive component to her to her um, presentation. But the exercise just kind of cured her. And like, so she was energetically getting something out through her muscles is, is the way we understood it. Um, yeah. Like to Marcel, that, that example reminds me of just even rereading Dr. Christ's article, his discussion later in the article about the sympathetic versus the parasympathetic yeah. nervous system. And there's so much focus, I think, when we talk about ADHD and the, the the scientific community about, like you're saying, the prefrontal cortex and, and brain functioning, and miss the the almost the elephant in the room, which is the the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. And and he highlights in that article the kind of lack of balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic. And, and with this patient you're describing, I mean, she is activating her sympathetic nervous system in this vigorous running that may help um, with her overexcited parasympathetic responses. I, I, I exactly, I, you know, Dr. Chris point is very well taken with this, with this patient. And she, she did love, you know, very well. I, I um, she actually left treatment with me. She's like, I don't need to see you anymore. <laughs> and, you know, good for her that she, she found what worked for her. And she's yeah. not, last I knew she was medication free and feeling a lot more hopeful that she had some uh, tools that she could, Use the idea of popping a pill all the time bothered her. So mm -hmm. that that actually, when I worked with her, that's when I started really considering maybe there's so much more to training an ADHD patient because I was, you know, I was trained, you know, the DSM three, four, DSM five classic symptoms, and the med psychopharmacologic approach, not really a psychological or the energetic approach, you know. Uh, and how they function, uh, but that clearly she understood something about the balance. She needed that uh, stimulation every morning, and that corrected the sympathetic parasympathetic balance because she she felt this calm focus all day after she did it. So wonderful, 
Yeah. So, so that's one vignette that, um, that really got me thinking about this balance, the parasympathetic, sympathetic balance. Yeah. If I could just also point out, when we say ADHD, we're talking about a list of symptoms, which we categorize as a syndrome, you know, a list of symptoms that tend to come together. And, and that's what I think allows us to be so helpful to patients is looking beyond a list of symptoms. And so we use someone's emotional character as the basis of our treatment, not that we ignore symptoms. Um, so with this young woman, I mean, that's what, what stands out is, is having some sense of her emotional character. And you said she kind of, you know, can have a depressive quality to her. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like she was managing that depressive quality and, and her, almost her energy uh, metabolism and her emotional uh, regulation and that helped deal with those specific symptoms that came up. And it reminds me of an example of a young man that I met who is different, it sounds like, characterologically, but he did mention that uh, his primary doctor had prescribed him Adderall and he, he specifically mentioned it helped with his drive. And that's something that I think gets overlooked when we talk about distraction and focus. There is a quality of of these medicines that um, produce a drive, an external drive, and and he felt the lack, an internal um, drive missing, and and he appreciated that benefit to him. So he had trouble focusing and and staying on task with things, and he, he lacked a drive. And that's kind of classic depression. You know, cognitive symptoms are a classic symptom of depression. And it, it makes you wonder how many patients are having what we'll call ADHD symptoms. Like you said, if, if they're having other diagnoses, other things going on, if they have, if 75% of them have depression, if their depression is not being treated, you know, we're only touching the, the, the superficial aspects with their focus. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well said. I mean, think about it. Like if you've got a fractured ankle, and this is a metaphor I use with some of my patients, okay, you're going to need to cast for a while, but your body can heal itself if it's set right and, you know, you use your crutches or whatever. So, okay, something's broken and it'll, can it heal on its own? Sure it can. And then you take the cast off and then you learn to, you go to rehab and you walk again and you get rid of the crutches. And so I, I, I offer that metaphor sometimes to patients. It's like, there's more to this than than the fractured ankle. Like, how did you fall? What happened? What were you, you know? And and how does your body heal? You know, I'm not against using these medicines, but the the, the rapidity which where kids get put on them, teenagers get put on them. But literally, one of my patients is in a school district about uh, an hour from me, and she volunteers at the school, and at lunchtime. There's 45 kids in line at the nurse's office lining up for their midday dose of ADHD medicine. Oh, wow. She said to me, there's something wrong with that. And then she knew that intuitively. You know, she's just a mom and, and you know, she cares about kids. And what does that say about how we're treating young people? And 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 do we know where that's going to go when they're young adults and adults and middle age and then seniors, you know, you know, if this is a developmental functioning energetic problem how can we address the underlying emotional manifestations? And, and, you know, with, with this young woman that I was working with, 
she was so relieved to know she could do something about it. I think there was like an underlying helplessness to her thinking she could take a pill. Um, and once she knew she had a tool that she had power over that gave her this mastery, this sense of agency, as they say, you know, she, she could do something about it and not be the victim of her. She, she, she often wondered if this was genetic because she thought one of her siblings was also kind of spacey. And there is, there, there, there is some evidence. There are some genetics to this, but you know, genes are bidirectional. So you know, if you have a gene, doesn't mean you're going to get the illness because genes. It's not your fate. <laughs> I think a lot of people walk around thinking, "Oh my gosh, I, you know, I've got this gene, so I'm going to end up with this problem." Maybe, maybe not. Can you turn a gene off? And so that I think gives patients much more hope and 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 maybe willing to look at other treatments other than yeah. just. Well, I think you're also touching on there's an, a, a moralistic quality to mental health diagnoses. And, you know, someone can say, look at all these kids lining up for medicine. Oh, that's a problem. It wasn't that way when I was a kid and, and kind of have a moralistic tone to it. Like, what's what's wrong with, with what's going on? And there is something wrong. There's emotional difficulties that we need to address, but it does. it's not like a uh, a judgment on someone if they take medicine or don't take medicine or, or right. have symptoms of ADHD. And I think that kind of, um, it, it can become a, a moralistic thing. Everything gets confused, you know, if we're not talking about an individual person and what, what's going on with their life and, and what emotionally needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What other um, situations have you come across? Yeah, I have a woman that I'm currently treating now. She's had she's in her late like 50, 59 years old. She's been diagnosed with ADHD uh, for fifteen years, and and she sees a very reputable psychopharmacologist who you know knows his medicine, very well respected. And she was put on Adderall. She's been on Ritalin, Adderall, and um, Lexapro too. She was also on that for a little while. And she would also take Viverin over the counter, which is caffeine. Um, and it helped. And, you know, she got symptom relief. But she came to me, I guess, the end of last year. And her chief complaint to me was, I need somebody to talk to. Mm -hmm. I need someone to listen. And that, that caught my ear. Um, and then... Later in that first meeting with her, she said, I want, I want someone to take care of me. And she had never said that to anybody, to, to the doctor that was treating her. You know, she would go in for the 15-minute med checks, get the prescription, and off she would go. And it did help her, but she was also, she was not happy. There was underlying um, concerns that she had, things from her childhood. Um, she realized that when she would go on her phone with social media, she would be more impulsive and really? uh, you know, like she needed more medicine. So she stopped social media. She said, I felt every time I would go on there, I felt like a loser. And then she would get anxious about it and, and then, you know, get more impulsive. And she would, she had a habit of interrupting her family members, like at dinner, they'd all be sitting around and somebody in fact, she'd just blurt right in and she couldn't, she couldn't hold back on what she was saying. I mean, she literally needed someone to listen to her and the family wasn't listening. Like, oh, mom, stop, you know? Um, so, so I've been seeing her like once, twice a week for about six months now, and she's off of her medicine now. She made this decision 
like she wanted to see what would happen and at my you know I encouraged her to to consider doing that and um what came up was all this sadness about her childhood she had a very hard childhood it, uh, and I tell her, you know, she's kind of a miracle that she made it through as intact as she was. You know, and I said to her, you're sensitive, but you're not fragile. You got through some very difficult things through your childhood and your young adult life. And yet here you are, you know, she's happily married, got a couple of kids, she has a job. And, and the medicine, the, the, she, the last medicine she was on was the Adderall. She, it, it, it helped the inattentiveness and that inner restlessness she would get, you know, because what she really wanted underneath was she needed, just needed somebody to listen to her. Because when she was a kid, nobody listened. Everybody was talking at her. A lot of excitation, but no perception. So she didn't have that emotional contact. And our hours of therapy, she would have more and more of that experience of what it was like to have somebody really listen to what was going on. And little by little, the impulsivity went away. And we were able to... to um, I taught her about the concept of Dr. Chris's famous line, observe, observe, observe. Um, and it just see, you know, when you say, when you blur something out, what's the effect you have to, at everybody at the dinner table? And she realized that she was part of the dynamic or problem and she was able to hold it back a little more only because we had talked about it and kind of rehearsed it in the, in the sessions. Mm-hmm. And... And so she was able to have more genuine contact with her family, with me, and with her coworkers. And it was really lovely to see this woman, you know, in her late 50s, like blooming, just kind of coming into her own. Yeah. She had believed herself to have this problem of ADHD for 15 years. The medicine did help, but it would wear off, but it never addressed the underlying problem, which just needed somebody to listen to her. Yeah. That- what she needed and wanted. She's very hungry for that emotional contact. And that's helped their marriage. And she's developed a, a, a better ability to see the effects. You know, like what, what effect do you want to have on, on someone else? I, you know, I often ask her that. What, what, um, what effect do you want to have? And she, uh, she would stop and like pause, which is very new to her because she's always learning. Like, yeah. it's hard. And for her to pause, she would just start laughing and take a big deep breath because she'd hold her breath all the time. So, you know, I had her lay on the treatment couch and we let her breathe. And one time she did it, she just burst into tears for no reason. She's like, I don't know why I'm crying. Like, it's okay. But she allowed herself to connect with her feelings. And she cried and she got up and she felt a lot better and called me later that day saying what a great day she had. So, and she's off medicine now. So, and that's that. That's like the dynamic that in, in Dr. Christ's article, he points out with this boy, Jay, the impulsivity was a defense of feelings. Correct. Meaning if the impulsivity stops, then you have to deal with your feelings. And with her, without movement, without talking, without doing, she could just be and feel sadness. Yes. Yeah. And she had a lot to be sad about. And we're still working that through. Yeah. Um, and I say, you'll get to it. You know, you've been through a lot. You'll get to it. Take your time. Just didn't go home and enjoy dinner with your family tonight. Just break it down because she goes off into the sunset like, oh, the rest of my life, you know, I've got to fix everything. There you go. Just do the night, you know, make yeah. dinner. And, um, so she's much more satisfied. Had she stayed on the medicine indefinitely, 
you know, I would have been concerned for her marriage and, and her relationship with her kids too. And, and some of her friends, some of her friends are kind of, you know, still farming her and kind of pushing her away. And now they're not doing that as much. I think because of her impulsive speaking and interrupting all the time, it, it pushed people away, which added to her loneliness, which she really wanted. But she said in the first session, when she first sat down, we need somebody to listen, we need somebody to and, and Dr. Marcel, I, I think you would, would agree with me that if someone takes medicine, Adderall or Ritalin or whatever, and they feel better and they feel content, that's fine. If they use behavioral techniques to manage their inattention and organization, that's fine. But if someone has a sense that there's more to it and they want to go beyond just the symptoms, it's important that they know there are options and, and medical orgone therapy is one of them. Exactly. And, I can think of numerous examples. I have a patient who I see, he graduated college and he's a young adult and um, he kind of calls for an appointment every now and then when he kind of runs into a rut or, or has some kind of trouble. And recently he called for an appointment because literally his friend shared a, a quiz from social media and said, hey, I think you may have ADHD. And that prompted him to come in for his latest appointment. And we were talking about it and he was saying some of the symptoms that I was aware of just from we've been working on and off for years. I knew he had this quality and, and he had some sense of, of, of thinking things through, like really going through all the details of understanding a situation. You know, he's not, he, he's the antithesis of impulsivity. He's going to think things through. And in our discussion, that came to the surface of him being absolutely clear, like, I need to think through something before I act, before I do, before I make a move. And just asking the question, what happens if you don't? You know, he paused and thought for a moment and said, I'll be afraid. And, and that was it. it, it I, I had a sense that that was there, but it never came out in just that way. But for him to be clear of, wow, I'm afraid of of doing something, of making a decision, of acting. And it was manifesting as symptoms of ADHD, of, of wow. being attentive and, and not being able to focus on something, getting away from him needing to act, make a decision. And so in some ways that that quiz was was helpful in him being aware by, you know, coming to me and us looking at it together. But is it ADHD? You know, do those symptoms? Do we stop at the symptoms, or do we, we go a little bit deeper? And, and that was very helpful for him. And it was kind of amazing because then I saw him a month later uh, for a check-in, and this is a guy who hasn't um, been in a relationship for some time. He's like, I have a girlfriend, and it's like, oh my god! And like this, you know, he was in touch with his fears. And we haven't gotten into the every little detail, but there. Were, I have no doubt that there's a connection with him being in touch with his fears and developing a relationship. Uh, and it's so wonderful. That's great. Yeah. Um, but there's so many examples I'm sure that you and I both have of, you know, the symptoms of ADHD are just the tip of the iceberg. And a week later, uh, a young woman called me up and said, you know, I, I need to be evaluated for ADHD. I graduated from college a year ago. I'm kind of struggling to get my first job. You know, I have a job, but I, I want to start a career. And um, she came in and kind of described this mild 
long-term distractibility, kind of losing focus, but but being a, a, a very hard worker, an excellent student, um, distraction really wasn't um, interfering with her life in a major way throughout her life, but, but there was these symptoms that were bothering her. And it, it turns out that she just lost a grandparent on both sides of her family, oh, wow. was struggling with grief, Yep. And and had this strong part of her that just could not connect with sadness, just being sad and allowing herself to cry really brought up these feelings of weakness that really uncomfortable for her. And she would just deal with it by just, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. And that is a very powerful, I don't want to think about it because it not only allowed her to not think about her grief, but it allowed, it, it took a lot of other things with it. And so that, you know, kind of zoning out from something that has a sure. charge, an emotional charge, sure. um, had this collateral damage of her just kind of being a little bit spacey here. Not that she couldn't focus and do some work, but would just distract her. And even then hearing, her name was Sam. Sam, you don't have ADHD. You're dealing with grief and your sadness. And, and we can work on that together. But even that then caused her to have a strong reaction of, well, if this is an ADHD, then this is me. Oh, and it was, wow. it was like, oh my God, like yeah. there's something in me that I have to face. Ah. And and there was a little bit of, I think, moralism and, and, and self-criticism mixed in that. But but the truth is, yes, there was a part of her that is is having difficulty dealing with her feelings and that is inherent to her. That's inside of her, but it's also, you know, part of her wonderful qualities that become twisted. It's it's not a judgment on her. It's not a moralistic right. um, thing. It's it's just something inside of her that she needs to face and deal with. And she and, could tolerate that with your yeah. help. Yeah, yeah. I I was just thinking, you know, when I mentioned this young woman who's dealing with grief of her grandparents passing. It reminded me of the article, The America's Love Affair with Adderall by, by, by Maya Sulkin in the Free Press. She, she has wonderful vignettes of, of um, students and, and young adults in it. But there was two examples um, of young people who recognized the difficulty of the medicines, stimulants for, that are used to treat ADHD and the effect that they had on their emotional lives. And one even realized the lack of emotional capacity to mourn when her grandmother died. And it makes me think, you know, the young woman who came to me, if she had just kind of been quickly prescribed medicine, oh, I'm having trouble focusing. Okay, take this. This will help, you know, how, how much in the wrong direction she would end up. Um, because some of the medicines do have that effect. And so if we're talking about dealing with the underlying emotional problem, they take a medicine that cuts them off from that, that can be a problem. Which makes me think of, of another example, actually, of a young man who came to me, also a, a very controlled, uh, detailed, diligent young man um, in his first job after graduating, came to me already on medicine, and he had moved from his college town and, and came here and, and wanted continued treatment, and had some sense beyond trouble focusing that there are things going on, but had a hard time kind of having a sense of exactly what it was and, and wanted some of my help with that. And what came out was 
So he was on Adderall. The way we actually discovered it was through the Adderall shortage. So he couldn't get that medicine. So we had to use a different one for the time being. And the wonderful effect of that shortage and changing medicines was that it didn't work as well uh-huh. in terms of how well it helped him focus, but also what effect it had on him being connected with his feelings. So essentially, he was a very controlled person who uh, had very intense feelings and was constantly on guard of letting his intense feelings see the light of day, whether that's an interaction with someone or even to himself, of really him seeing, like, I have a really strong feeling about this. It could be anger and frustration. It could be fear. It could be sadness. It could be joy. Literally, it was all feelings. The intensity of it was tremendous. And there was a big part of him that could become overwhelmed with that. And yet by changing medicines, it it helped him get through the day and he could function, but it was a little bit less than the Adderall. And that helped him be clear about what was actually going on. And we decided to leave it that way, even when the medicine was available, um, because it, it, it was enough for him to not be overwhelmed, but enough for him to be in touch and for us to work through it uh, of what feelings were there. And and again, medicines are not um, good or bad, but but for him, for instance, he may have needed it at least at first whenever he started it b- before we even met. But the question of, of, okay, well, what actually is going on and how do we address that? That may have been even harder to even get to because the medicine kind of kept him so even keel. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And he had you to walk through that with him. He yeah. had to do it by himself. So I mean, that, that's the power of psychotherapy, good therapy, where there's really good emotional contact between a patient and a doctor, that there's that somebody else gets it. And that's what my patient was. She she just wanted someone to listen. This gentleman that you're talking about, he, he needed someone to maybe just try something different and be aware. He sounded like he was very insightful yeah. uh, and have the courage to look at it together with somebody who who get it, who got him and, and understood. So Yeah. Can't get that in a pill. <laughs> I know. Again, it's like the tile Tylenol works, but what's the underlying problem that's causing the pain? Yeah. And some people, I have some patients that then they don't want to look. They don't want to go deeper. You know, your patient wanted to wanted to maybe let some of that come more into his awareness. To his credit, and I think long term, what effect that might have on your patient's life? You know, where will he be ten years from now if he does that deeper work, has that relationship with you in a psychotherapy relationship? That's a profoundly different direction than just taking a pill every single day for the next ten years. So that's another way I tend to look at it, and patients get that. And even just practically, when there's a shortage or medicine runs out, you, you can weather the storm a little bit better. Correct. Well, it allows them to tap into whatever other traits and characteristics they have to cope with things. I mean, life, life is hard. Life, life is very difficult. And how we cope with it, who we ask for help, how we take care of ourselves, you know, to, I think it, it's, a, it's a, and I tell patients this, it's a, it's a true act of courage to walk into a psychotherapist's office and ask for help. Yeah base oneself. And I have a lot of respect for my patients that, that 
are willing to do that work, um, like your your gentleman that you're talking about, and that you know that's that's why we went into medicine. <laughs> you stop, yeah. Yeah. do no harm. You know, let's let's try to help patients to be their best self. I guess, <laughs> you know. Yeah, th- there's just so much uh, about it, and you know when I when I think of Doctor Christ's article from 1995. If there's one thing I think the public needs to hear is that when it comes to ADHD, people are not a list of symptoms. Correct. They have an emotional character that when they're ready to address can can have such profound effect. Yes. I, I actually think it could save someone's life. Yeah. You know, that um and I've had patients that have become suicidal because, you know, the medicines just don't do what they need to do because deep down there's other deeper anger, deeper sadness, or a sense of uh, just being so distraught that they cannot think of anything else other than killing themselves. Yeah. And actually, the, some of these articles w- with the, the shortages of medicine have talked about some of the tragedies of of divorces and um, loss of job because- yeah. Someone didn't have the medicine, and and really their function completely deteriorated. And it, it, there are a lot of tragedies. Yep. You know. Yep. Anything else, Doctor Marcel, you'd like to say? I really appreciate the work you're doing and being able to have this discussion because I think it's very timely. And yeah. and I think we probably need to write an article for the journal to take charge of Chris. Yeah, I think I think we have a lot to say. And what I just think about is the examples of the patients you gave and I gave. I think fundamentally they're all very different people, and yet they can have some of the same symptoms and on the very surface look similar. But it's not a homogenous group of people, and how their therapy is with you, their therapy would be with me, can be greatly different. And and so, if that's the case. Just lumping people together by by groups of symptoms, you know, what? How does that even affect the way we're we're looking at ourselves, you know, each other in terms of our emotional health? And and just to have a picture of okay, this is a person who has these symptoms and has these struggles and and these qualities. That alone, I think, can go a long way. Like my patient said, I just want someone to listen to me. Yeah, you know, they they really want that connection and. and, you know, I think it's it's a wonderful journey to be with some of these patients to, to see how their life grows and, and changes and and their kids grow up and they go on to get married and, you know, and um, it's just, it's humbling. So yeah. I just, I really appreciate what the work you're doing and being able to get this topic out there because I'm sure we'll hear more. And I'd love to hear anyone who's listening, I'd love to hear their feedback. Well, that would be wonderful. Thank you very much for your time, Dr. Marcel. Thank you, Dr. Greta. Appreciate it. What are your thoughts? Are you or someone you know struggling with symptoms of ADHD? The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I hope you share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know about our work. You can connect with us at organomy.org. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett, 
Thank you for listening to the Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Ergonomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, medical orgone therapy, as practiced by the physicians at the ACO, offers a way forward, often without the use of medication.